like the poor like she like shouldn't say poor thing but she is having a full-on meltdown by this point which yep. is kind of justifiable considering um because she is hydrophobic and her entire fortress is starting to sink on her like it's even getting into the courtyard by this point and the, all the other vermin are just starting to panic um and martin and com company are just like well this is it we like this is going to be the last battle it is time to it's time to get ready to go um yep. and like the um lady amber asks martin like what they're gonna do next and he's like now the real plan goes into action i've never told you about my friend tim Ballisto, or even how he comes to have a strange name like that well you just wait and see what he has in store for coder He'll help it to sink, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and Sarmina, uh, like, so all of the, the fucking, there's a bunch of them who are trying to desert now. They're like, nope, nope. And Sarmina kills one of them. Yeah. Like, She's like, does anybody else, does anybody else want to go? Who's next? And then and a boulder just flies out of nowhere and takes out the roof or takes out part yep, of the wall. No. It's, it's, whomp, the whole roof shook. Terrified, the troops fell flat. Sarmina dashed to the edge in time to see a second boulder come whizzing through the air like some giant shapeless bird. It struck halfway up the wall. Masonry fell, splashing into the water from the gap left by the striking missile. As the roof shook under the impact of another boulder, the wild cat queen grasped the battlement, staring wildly across the deep flooded area. And we learned And then we get this... Tim Ballisto made some ballistas. That's his name. And I'm like, when did he find time? <laughs> right? Like, like how fast did you make these? Like, I think they imply that they are using, like, actual They're trees. made from trees. They're yeah. made from three silver birches. Right. Which are springy enough. And, like, if we're going on, like, these are the scales of, like, average animals, like, not human scale, this would make sense, too. Um... But it still just cracks me up. They're just like, yeah, it's a ballista. Just tie, like, a tree, and then, fa-ping, there goes the boulder. Yeah, and, like, uh, uh, Dinny, young Dinny is just like, I want to do it. I want to do it. Please He's let me so shoot it. Excited. And Tim Ballista, like, lines it up and then lets, <laughs> just lets, lets Dinny do it. And Dinny almost couldn't do it because he was just chuckling so much. Yeah. He was just so pleased. And they take out, uh... It oh, was the like the tower. They hit one of the towers. Yeah. Oh joy. Oh happiness. Where'd he go? What did I hit? I'm very bad at this. The watchers on the shore saw the tower shudder. A hole appeared as the rock hit Coder with tremendous force. Rubble and masonry showered into the water as another gap was made. A loud cheer went up from the woodlanders. Yeah. And here's and then we go to a sequence that like genuinely makes me sad, where like most of the troops are gone. They are. They are. Fleeing like rats from a sinking ship. Yep. And Sarmina <laughs> is in her room freaking out. And Brog's like, hey, milady, here, look. And he flips over no, her she's, table. No, she's her. not in her room now. Oh, she went back to the sorry. battlements. Because remember, she yeah. killed one of the weasels. Right. And she's just watching them go. Uh, but Brog is there. Yeah. Like, he, Brog, Brog stood faithfully out. at the head of the stairs. Yeah. Like, Brog leads her out, flips a table over for her to float on. And is just like, okay... The, the table's out of the water, and then, like, she pushes along the wall to get away, and he's like, M'lady? Like, where where are you going? And she goes, don't yeah. be silly, Brog. Sarmina sounded almost condescending. 
You can see there's only one room for your... There's only room enough for your queen on this thing. Two of us would sink it. The captain scratched his head dully as if trying to understand. But your majesty, what about me? Like, Sarmina just leaves him there and then he gets murked by a boulder. Yep, rest in violence. Like, that genuinely makes me sad because, like, he was just, like, trying to figure out, like, what do I do now? And then this boulder just yeah. takes him out. Brock's downfall was his loyalty, unfortunately. Yeah, and it um, makes me... Really also, sad. Sarmina still thinks that all of this is because of Gingiver. She still does not think that a mouse was capable of doing this. Yeah, she doesn't realize She's... it until, like, literally the very end. Yeah, she just absolutely thinks she's like, you'll see, we'll win yet. It's that traitor brother of mine, Gingivere. He must still be alive. A single mouse couldn't have thought all this up. I should have killed them both and made sure they were dead when I had the chance. Mm-hmm. And she even says something similar. She's like, oh, you'll find something, Brog. Like, after he's like, but your majesty, what about me? Get ashore and regroup the army. I'm going to find the mouse warrior and my brother, Gingivere. Don't worry. Don't you worry. I'll make them pay for the loss of Coder. Mm-hmm. And then Brog is just crouching on the windowsill, being miserable, trying to make up his mind, which surprised him more. The desertion of Sarmina, his queen, or the arrival of a huge ballista boulder, which put an end to his bafflement. And then we abruptly cut to Gingivere's farm and the abbess and Columbine, who are just kind of like hanging out. And the abbess is doodling um, plans. Like, apparently the abbess is also an architect because she's doodling all these plans for Redwall Abbey. Um, these are this very, very in literate. This action feels so fucking weird. It's just, <laughs> just like... <laughs> and elsewhere. Yeah. and Like, this could have been brought up at the end of the book. Yeah. Like, it's really... Like, I mean, we're at the end of the book, but I mean at the end of the action. It is really cute, though, how, like, Columbine is like, Hey, Abbas, tell me what you're doing. And the Abbas was like, oh, Well, let me, let me tell you about, oh, what's the word I'm looking at? Let me info dump for you about my plan. And just goes off. It's so cute. Like, it's, let it's out of place. Let me tell you about Homestuck. <laughs> it's that vibe. It's that same vibe. <laughs> me, whenever someone asks me to talk about dinosaurs or history. Mood. Move um, me whenever somebody like just asks me to talk about anything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was like, yeah, and she's got all these plans. She's using charcoal to draw them up, and she's just like, "This is an idea I've had since like we were in Lone Hedge, but we couldn't do it there because we didn't have the stone." But have you seen around? There's all of this like red sandstone coders made of it, and I saw a quarry, and we can we can make we can build. And Abby and Columbine is like, this is a good plan. This is like a good dream. And the Abbas is like, no, we can do it. Yeah, like we've got this. Like we have, we have the technology. <laughs> we have yeah. the money. We can rebuild it. Um, but yeah. yeah, and then they get interrupted by Spike and who's like Spike is and Posey. Posey's also there. Yes, and so is San uh, Sandinam. She's looking mock seriously at the two mice. It's like, as, as Spike is like, Abbas, come on, mate, hurry up. We've made you a lovely cheese and apple salad, but Cog says he'll eat it all unless you come right away. Yeah. It's just like, her, like <laughs> I love the urgency that a kid can have because like everything is happening right now. Can I interest you in anything all of the time? Um, <laughs> and like, they just, it's such a cute moment. Like, it's really weird that this happens here as a break in the action. Like, I yeah. can understand wanting to have something like a break like this so that it's not all action all the time. Yeah. But it's just odd to happen in the middle of everything. 
Although um, it does, it does kind of like it's kind of like the abrupt break, and then we have like the slow build up back up. So it does kind of work in that sense because like the next scene we jump to is them like fishing out the for the Kotor forces and feeding them. So like they fish them out, yeah. they line them up. They're like, look, you don't deserve this, but here we're giving you food and water. So they just treat them very well. Yeah. Like I, the, I think the only uh, person who like quote unquote hits them is like young Dinny like cuffs one of them for trying to steal food from one of the other ones. Yeah. Like, don't you do that. Yeah, and that was just like him correcting him, like, hey, that's that's not that's not right. That's not good manners. Um and like for my little tangent, it makes me think of how um like my grandpa served in World War Two. He was like one of like two units that went to Germany and Japan. But there's a story of him uh, and some of his guys when they were checking out a French villa and this German officer walks out of the villa and just like sets his weapons down, puts his hands up and is like, I'm done. I surrender. Just take me in. Like the situations had become so untenable that the Germans were like being a POW for the Americans and like the Britain, the Brit the British would be better than the, they were getting from better treatment than they were getting from their own, you know, troops. Um, yeah. So it's like, you have like stories throughout history of like one side being argued arguably like kinder to their enemies and or their um, prisoners of war than the other side. And it's just, it makes me think of that, how it's like history remembers the victor, but also it remembers those who are kinder in some ways. Like, yeah, let's just like, let's be frankly honest. America and Britain have a lot of bad shit to account for. Uh, I'm not saying they're like, oh, they're the good guys. But there have been times in history where they have been better than who they were fighting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so them like treating these prisoner of, prisoners of war with kindness is again, like reinforcing the fact like these are the good guys. These are the people we're supposed to be cheering for. And this is why, because they are willing to extend kindness to an enemy by giving them food and like offering even like an odd kind of comfort. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. All right. So now... That we have moved past, like, so they're, they're fishing all of the coder forces out of the water. Yeah. Martin it just goes off. He's like, I'm going to go find Sarmina. And he's, like, limping because he's still injured from that arrow. It wasn't a, like, nothing injury. It still hurt him. Yeah. And Sarmina is, like, panicked. Because Kotor, <laughs> Kotor is gone. She sees it sink below the water. And, like, Sarmina threw back her head in an anguished yowl. And ran to the water's edge, drawing back swiftly as the wetness touched her paws. And, like, just as she sees that, like, that's when Martin appears behind her. And she, at her very first thought when she hears Martin's voice is still, her very first thought is Gingivere. And that's just, like, she is just focused on the fact that it is her brother who is going to end her. But no, when she turns around, it's Martin. I am Martin the Warrior, son of Luke, friend of Bor the Fighter. And she's like, where are your woodland allies? Not here to help you? Yeah, and also like, And he, he fucking calls warrior. her scum. Yeah. You are a queen of an underwater fortress, ruler of the fishes. Cat, you are scum, floated ashore on an upturned kitchen table, nothing more. Like, what a good And then way they to start fighting. Her. 
Yeah, and then they yeah, fight. and then they start fighting. Sermina is fighting with her claws and her teeth, which is more than enough. Literally, yeah, yeah, she's huge compared to him. Yeah, and he has a sword, and he's just like this fight. Like I don't have anything to say about this fight because it just it goes. It is very well written. It flows very well, and they just they tear each other apart. And there's this really interesting thing where I wasn't consciously counting, but I think Sarmina, she knocks him down like three times in what she thinks should have been a killing blow. And three times he stands back up. <laughs> again, like... Uh, the rule of threes. Rule of threes. And again, like the Christian uh, uh, yep. point of view of like, ah, there's your savior, savior symbolism. There you go. Three times he fell. Three mm-hmm. times he rose. Um, God. But... And, like, he, he's pushing her back, and, like, th- this is, like, crouching low with the sword point held out in front, Martin waded out of the water towards his foe, the red glitter of total war shining hot in his eyes, his teeth bared in a wild laugh. Sarmina's craven heart failed her. She just starts circling nervously, like, as Martin closes in, like, he manages to get around her and start backing her into the water. Yeah. And she just remembered remembers the words that he had spoken as he was dragged off to the cells of Kotor. You should have killed me when you had the chance because I vow that I will slay you one day. Yeah. And he just keeps pushing her back into the lake. Deep, like, she doesn't notice because she's so... She's, like, got tunnel vision on him. Yeah. And suddenly Sarmina realized she had gone too deep. Like, like actually, like, I have to read this whole section. It's very well Unaware, done. It is so good. It is. It is. Unaware of the water behind her, Sarmina retreated, backing off as the little warrior came toward her. Bloodied but unbowed, the mouse who would not lie down and die. Martin, the one that fought like a great male badger. Back, back, she paced, her eyes shifting from the gleaming blade to Martin's piercing eyes. Deeper and deeper into the waters of the lake went the Queen of the Thousand Eyes. Even though Martin had halted upon the lake shore, he seemed to be getting larger, towering in her vision. She had to get as far away from this threat as she could. Suddenly, Sarmina realized she had gone too deep. The energy drained from her body. Dry land seemed miles away. Water filled her world, dark, swirling, eddying, tugging, longing to fold her in its wet embrace, pulling her down, filling her mouth, nostrils, and finally her eyes. The dream had come true, the nightmare was alive. And someone someone in the server asked if, um, they asked if we would feel, if, or, like, would we feel that her death was anticlimactic? And I think no, because it's so very well written. And it is the accumulation of, like, the buildup of her, is psychosis the right word to use? I think it is. But it's the buildup of her psychosis, her paranoia, coming to a head, like, all of the plot elements and the fears and her, like everything that mm-hmm. Brian has been putting in place throughout the book comes to a head in this moment and pays off with her backing down and succumbing to it. And I think it's yeah. actually very well written. Like I would, I, it is. I like villain deaths like this, where the main like air quotes hero of the book may not have killed them directly, but it's like a mix of the hero's actions and the villain's own hubris and like 
issues is what leads to their ending. Like, I like villains who don't get some grand bombastic death, but they get, like, a humble death, a quiet death, because... Like, they don't deserve the fanfare. Yes, exactly. Like, I can... Yeah. Also, the person who asked that question was The Grey Coincidence. Thank you, yes. Thank you, The Grey Coincidence, yeah. which is their entire name. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for asking us a question, and a very good one at that. Yeah, it is a very good one. Like, I, I, I agree with everything that you're saying about this. Like, um, it's just that slow backing into the thing that she fears most, but also realizing like she doesn't just fear the water; she fears this mouse. She fears him. She more realizes than the water. Yeah, she realizes that this mouse is equal to her, and she can't do anything about it. And then she just drowns. Yeah. Um, and then Martin goes unconscious. Just flops. Yep. It, honest to God, Martin like my tells... brain just thought of the scene in The Princess Bride where, to the pain! <laughs> God. Jesus. <laughs> he was um, bluffing. I knew he was bluffing. Yeah, like Martin, like back in the shallows, Martin dragged his wounded body onto the land. Trying to lift his sword one last time, he managed to gasp out, Sleep in peace, boar. Mossflower is free. The shining sword slid from the warrior's grasp, and he fell to the earth, a limp, sodden bundle. Yep. Martin's taking a nap And then we now. skip... <laughs> yeah, and then we, we go back to the captives, uh, and they're given, like, an ultimatum. They're like, you can either die, or never hold a weapon again, and never enter Mossflower or go north. Yeah. And, like... It's really... Like, most of them are just like, yeah, okay, fine. And then they're like, yeah, and if you don't, like, if any of you object to that, we'll kill you right here, right now. And they're just like, Ugh. like, they, the captives immediately sat upon their paws. Yeah, they're just like, I don't, <laughs> like, they were, like, I feel sorry. And they're like, we weren't trying to sass back. Like, none of them were being sassy, you know? And then they're just like, yeah, but we'll be very happy to kill you if you give us an excuse. <laughs> so they're just like, nope. They're like, nope, 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 nope. Very good. Um, and then everybody gets concerned. Where's the cat? And where's Martin? Yeah. And Ben Stickle is like, uh, I saw him heading uh, along the bank. And Bella was like, uh, yeah, we're going to go look for him. Yeah, about time, Bella. <laughs> yeah, and Bella issues a warning before leaving, like, watch out for Sarmina. And it's like, nah, Bella, nah. <laughs> she, she's gone. She's gone. <laughs> she's she's uh, feeding the and... pike. <laughs> Which makes me wonder. God, like... imagine if the pike had ended up in the lake. Right? Like, like how many fish <gasps> do you think got sucked down the tunnels and ended up in the lake? We're like, what? is going on <laughs> just oh man <laughs> like you're the queen of fishes i'm like martin do you really think there's fishes in this lake yet and it's like well probably they probably got sucked through the river they might not be very happy it's fishes, now though. my head canon that the pike ate her that Stormfin yes. just fucking ate yes her. like she drowned and Stormfin was like ah free me yeah pretty much num 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 um. num <laughs> Um, they go to find, uh, so Bella actually asks specifically for Gump to go with her, but young Dinny and Timbalisto are also there, and Timbalisto refused to stay. Yeah. He was like, no, we're gonna, I'm going with, like, nah. Like, I'm, I nah. lost my friend once before, it's like that situation of, like, I lost my friend once before, I'm not gonna lose them again, kind of a thing. Yeah. And of course, like, um, for those of you who'd like to interpret that way, he wants to protect his boyfriend. Yeah. He just, Listen. They love each other in whatever way you th you you think, but they definitely love each other in some yes. way. 
be it platonic, they care each other. Be it platonic or romantic, they definitely care. Um, yes. But they find Martin has multiple paws. Yeah. But they find Martin and they're like, oh, we are we are not skilled enough to heal him. He's literally on the well, edge of the dark first, forest. Oh, sorry. First, they all think he's dead. Yeah. And then he starts. And Tim Ballisto and Gonf and Dinny are like upset. Like, yeah. Tim Ballisto just starts crying and Dinny like buries his face in the earth. And Tim Ballisto would not could not believe that after the short period they'd been reunited, his friend had been taken to the gates of Dark Forest. And he's just like, ah, no, no, no. And they're, they're, they, they are like, who could have done this? And it's like, Sarmina, who else? Yeah, and right. Dinny realizes that they fought a good battle. Um, and Gonf, like, is following their tracks and it's like, the cat went backward into the. Oop, I dropped something. <laughs> the cat went. <laughs> the cat went backwards into the lake. I think our warrior won the battle. And then Bella is like, "He's alive!" Yeah, his mouth is moving, <laughs> and they realize his mouth is moving because he's talking to Boar at the edge of the dark forest. And this is where thing like this is this is where like so much starts happening super fast because they they can't like you were saying they can't heal martin they get goody stickle to come and help and they send chib to the farm because they need abish germain yep because she's she's the the only one that can heal martin and bring him back from the gates of the dark forest and martin is just like whispering quietly talking to boar um, because Boar won't let him into Dark Forest yeah. yet. So they're, 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 you know, sparring. Yeah, like, it's so cute. Like, Boar's like, shit, 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 I have to distract his mouse so he doesn't die. Uh, uh, uh sword fight! <laughs> yep. I love it. I love it so much. And, like, what would I, I would pay for this, like, to see this little exchange from Martin's point of view, like, when he's at the, the edge of Dark Forest. That would be an awesome little short story. Mm-hmm. Honestly. Also, Bella just fucking, like a juggernaut, just dashes into the forest because she's going to go pick up Abish Germain and bring her back. And, like, I... This is where we get some really good, like, badgers are fucking wild. Like, if you've ever seen a badger, be it American or European, decide it's time to move... Like, you know, they usually do like that silly little waddle when they're walking. That lumbering waddle. They can move. move. Yeah, when they decide to move, they move. It's like a gator. It's like a gator. They can just go. Or a bear. Like, I love how, like, so many animals are like, oh, look at their cute little wall. Oh, shit. And then they'll just, like, go into turbo mode. It's like, oh, and you gotta run. <laughs> Again, like. And then we swap back to um, the farm. Yes. Uh, Chib apparently skipped his own breakfast to come do this. Or actually, no. What happens is, is that, like, he gets there and he waits for Bella to get there. And when Bella arrives, like, it's break, like, it's just, it's dawn. Like, it is literally, like, dawn, very early. Um, Chib decides that he is going to skip his breakfast and go tell the Corum that, hey, you know, like, the, they are on their way. Yeah. Chib is, honestly, like, he starts being less, like, neutral good. And just becomes, like, an and ally. More, yeah. Um, and... Bella fucking collapses. She has been running. She's like frothing yeah. and she's been, if you've ever seen a horse that's been run too hard, it's like that. Yeah. 
Um, like, you can literally and, kill a horse that way. So then when they described her as frothing, I'm like, Bella! Yeah. And she's just like, I just need to lay still for a little while. I'll be fine. Just give me a little bit. And it's just l- maybe less than an hour it takes for Bella to be good to go again. And they tie <laughs> the abbess to her back. I love that. And she goes. Now, I will say adrenaline is a hell of a drug. Yes. <laughs> but still, it's just like, oh, my Bella. Yeah. And Goody Stickle, we, we swap back to Martin at the edge of the lake. Goody Stickle is like, we cannot move him. And she's tending to him. And Tim Ballisto is like fretting because he doesn't know what to do because he can't help. Like that is like, I can relate to that because there is no worse feeling than knowing someone is hurt or sick and not being able to help them. Mm-hmm. Like that is very much, it's a horrible, awful feeling. It is. It is. And, and you, you put a note here that like Goody Stickle had come back into the story to do something. Yeah. And I, I agree. Like, I'm glad that she's back in the story because she's, she's being a mother. Mothers know how to take care of people and tend to their wounds mm-hmm. and make sure that they don't die. And not to mention that it's kind of a, like a very good payoff of like how in the beginning of the story, Martin's distraction allowed her family to escape. And now like mm-hmm. she might not be thinking about it, but him inadvertently distracting the patrol and allowing her to escape saves his life now. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. And then the abbess, like Bella and the abbess arrive and like she literally Bella skids to a stop slices the ropes with her claws because badgers have really sharp claws abbas like tumbles to the ground grabs her satchel and is at martin's side like immediately yeah and she tells goody stickle to go rest and the abbas is like i can save him but it is going to take a while yeah so i need y'all to give me some space yeah. She just barks out the marching orders right away. It's like, you can tell why she is the leader, like, why she is the abbess. Yeah. And um, I, she's like, go, go boil water. Bella, open my satchel and give me fever few and a touch of nightshade. Ben, can you gather some fresh dock leaves? And she's like, to Bella, like, she's just like, you need to go rest. The race you ran to save Martin's life would have killed a lesser creature. Yeah. Like, I, I will make, like, I didn't make a note on this before, but I just realized it, that I really like how Brian writes different kinds of leaders who are needed in different kinds of situations. Yeah. Like, Martin takes over when they need to fight the war. Bella takes mm-hmm. over when they need a cool head. The Abbess takes over when they need organization and, you know, just someone to tell them what to do in a situation where fighting is not going to help. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, And it's not, one character does not just railroad everyone else. Like, as much as I joke about, like, Mm -hmm. yep, here's the mouse, Martin's gonna take over, but it's like, when his, when the war is over, he's pretty much sidelined. You know, like, he does not... They they all work together. And it's it's just, it's very Um, appealing, I guess appealing? Not appealing. Oh, that's what I'm looking for. I appreciate that this is written like Yes, thank you. Then we cut yeah. to, like, this weird little aside of, like, the hair sisters and the moles making the prisoners wash themselves before they get their meals. Like, Brian, you are so British! <laughs> like, they've got, to, they've got to wash their whiskers and scrub their paws. They tell one fox, like, you need to scrub behind your ears. And he's like, but why? And it's like, because we said so. You're dirty. Right? 
you know it's like you won't get any tuck if you don't you filthy rogue right and then like i made like a little note of like never mind that most rats in nature are absolutely fastidious like they are very cleanly creatures as far as like they groom themselves just as much as or more than a cat does you yeah know. and then we also get this bit where they're mocked for eating so much yes like this miserable lot will eat us out of crop and woodland the way they're scoffing Burr, they've got a dozen stomachs apiece, nasty vermin. And it's like, listen, y'all, give it a couple books. Y'all have enough food, and they're literally starving. Yeah. And given enough books, we're going to see that hares are no better. Like, literally, there's hare characters who are like, oh, you can't trust a hare around food. They'll eat it up. Yeah. Like, bitch. Get off your high horse. There's only one. You can't all have it. Yeah. And we get a mention that uh, they've been able to move Martin from the shoreline uh, down to their encampment. Yeah. Uh, and also they're going to send the, the the defeated army off with two days worth of rations. And they do that. Basically, what happens is they tell them to leave. They've got two days of rations, like food, water. And uh, Skipper is like... Or not Skipper, uh... The hares. The hares. The hares are like, we are the first regiment fur and foot fighters. And they're like, if you are still in sight by sunset, we will follow you. Yeah, like, I, I do enjoy how, like, most of the time the hares are depicted as, like, goofy, like, oh, yeah, we're just a bunch of goofy tricksters. But then, like, Brian brings it around to her, like, hey, hares can and will absolutely wreck shit. Like, if you've never seen a hare, you don't understand that these creatures have seen God and don't care. <laughs> like, hares yeah. are feral. I, I love it. They are fucking feral. Um, and, like, so doing this also is, like, you mentioned this, it's, it's a smart move. Because, like, they would just kind of loiter in the flatlands and try and steal each other's food. And it's like, no, send them off as fast as possible and they'll actually be able to survive and not, like, murder each other. Right, like, not, like, they they have the two days of rations. Like, my idea is that, like, by giving them the rations, not only are they like, okay, we've got enough food that we can run, but instead of, like, having to fight woodlanders, who they are now very terrified of, if any of them do decide to, like, hey, I'm going to fight for food instead of earn it, they'll focus on each other first. Which would, you know, in theory, whittle down their numbers some. Just to be a little bit morbid about it. Yeah. But... And Skipper and and Lady Amber are like, can't we just, like, go after them one more time? Please? And Bella's like, no. No. We won. Leave them alone. Yeah. <laughs> mother, may I have a little more violence? I crave violence, mother. <laughs> mother. Like, mother, I crave violence. <laughs> <laughs> I have been uh, absolutely just just brain melted by TikTok at this point. I don't have a TikTok, but my friends send me enough, and it's like I get most <laughs> most of the memes. Um, yeah, mother, mother, I crave violence. But yeah, a, a and to quote the book, a score of days later, Martin wakes up just in time to hear Gonf singing oh, a little how song. How long is a score of days? Hold yeah. on. Well, I don't think it's a... I don't think it's, like, an actual, like, um... No, it is! It, it is. is! Oh! A... Okay, so... A score... Is equal to... So, this is... This is 
what I'm getting is uh, usually a score is in reference to years. Right. And it's equal to about 20 years. So I think if it's saying a score of days, it's been 20 days. So almost a month. Well, like, it, I did put in the notes that he was out long enough that uh, Gonf and Columbine got married. They managed to refloat and make uh, Seaworthy again, the wood ship. And this is an absolute brilliant little bit of writing, and I absolutely adore this, that the wood ship is going to be used to bring the stone from the quarry to build, build Redwall. Like, that... Is an app like that is it's using Chekhov's gun to perfection. <laughs> like this ship has not only had Honestly. one important use, it's had three important uses in the story, and that is a brilliant little bit of writing. I love that. I would like to point out at the top of this chapter this little picture of Gon. It's cute. Playing the bagpipes. With his goofy <laughs> little hat and the pants. It's so fucking good. His pantaloons. 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 <laughs> Oh, and then, my God. like, Bella comes over decked in flowers and carrying a bowl of woodland vegetable soup, which... Oh, the abbess is also decked in flowers, I love it. by the way. I love it so much. Like, they're just, they are just having a party. They're... And everybody, like, realizes, oh, Martin's awake, and they're all like, Martin! And Martin is just, like... Hi. Crying. Yeah. He's so happy that he is alive, and that, like, everyone else is as well. And you And the... we learn that Gonf and Columbine, God, <laughs> Gonf and Columbine are moving into the old church, which is really kind of sad when you think about what happens in later books with that church. Yeah, Saint Ninians. Yeah. Um, the lake's gone down because they've refloated the ship because it means that the uh, the river is no longer dammed up. Um, and they're just having, like, a festival on the shores of this lake. Yeah. Like, a whole-ass festival. Because why not? We won. Yeah, because we're why not? We're gonna have a party. And then, the last chapter, we are back with Bella, where she has been telling the story to, uh... The, the baby's... The so, baby's <laughs> never actually named, I don't think. He is not named, uh, but he is the son of... Of Gonf's son, whose name is Gonf. I just called him Gonf Jr. because the book calls him like Gonf, son of Gonf and Columbine. Son of Gonf and Columbine. Columbine. Like, no, from... you are Gonf Jr. I am not typing that out every time. And apparently, this mouse is plump. Very plump. Very plump. Very happy. And his son is the spitting image of Gonf. Yep. Um, and Bella, like they're talking quietly. Bella is carrying his son. Uh, as they walk along the path to the church. And she's like, a pity he went to sleep like that. I never told him of the great vow that Martin made when he hung up his sword to become a Redwall mouse. Or of the w wonderful feast when the main gate was raised. Or, uh, uh, that was when you were born, you know. Ho ho, we've cer we certainly made a double celebration of it this summer. Skipper Vodders ate so much that he sank in the Abbey pool <laughs> and Lady Amber dived in to fish him out. Did your mom and dad ever tell you about it? Gump, son of Gump, and Columbine nodded, smiling in the late autumn night. Aye, at least a hundred times, matey. It's like, oh, really? I'm that he's picked up on the way that Gump talks. Yeah. <laughs> Not just and then, Gump, but like all the other woodlanders, too. Like, you can tell, like, he's been around the skipper and... Yeah. Um, so kind of like... And, like, it's... Bella is so old. 
Badgers are mythical in these books. They live so much longer than every other creature. Again, it ties into, like, the size, not just, it's like the size difference. You know, badgers are Mm -hmm. all the, I guess, like, I think European badgers are pretty close to river otters in size, if you want to go lengthwise. I can Google this. Yeah. How big are European badgers? Because, like, generally, a bigger... As an adult, they can be 2.3 feet long and weigh 26 pounds. So they're the size of, like, a small dog. Yeah. Um, They're huge. Yeah. How big... Hold on. Okay. How big are... I know how big sea otters are. How big are river otters? It might vary, too, because, like, there are... 2.2 feet long, 18 pounds. Okay. They're very close in size. So, like, I feel like otters could should probably live long, too, but they don't have as much of a focus as badgers do as far as, like, sticking They're around. not as mythical. Yeah. Otters, like, you see lots of otters. You see lots of squirrels. Yeah. You see lots of these other creatures. Badgers, you only ever get... This is one of the books where you get a lot of badgers in it. But... And that's three badgers. Yeah. Um, most... <laughs> you get three badgers, and that's a lot of badgers. Usually there's only one or maybe two. Not just that, but most of the time, um, the otters live, like, fast, like, hard and fast lives. Whereas, like, with badgers, it's like, either they are a record keeper or they're a warrior, so, you know. Mm -hmm. Or they're wandering around in the middle of the woods not remembering anything about themselves. Exactly. Which is a good segue into (laughs) the very... The last chapter of this book. Which is only, like, a page and a half. If that, honestly, I would say it's a page because the top oh, of yeah. this page is taken up by a picture of a badger carrying a metal studded club. Yep. And this badger is plowing his way across the beach towards Salamandastron, where there are two hares watching him. And they step out of the shadows, and the badger asks them what this place is called. And they say, It's Salamandastron, the place of the fire lizard. And the badger says that he feels as if he's been there before. And the the hares introduce themselves as Breeze and Starbuck. If you recognize those names. The last of the the last hares at Salamandastron. But they know they won't be the last. More will come after them. Yep. Because that is how it has always yeah. been, and that is how it will always be. And Sunflash introduces himself as Sunflash the Mace because he touches the yellow stripe on his head mm-hmm. and he is the son of Bella and Barkstripe and Starbuck says that your traveling is at an end Sunflash you are the grandson of Bor the Fighter and great grandson of old Lord Brocktree it is written on the walls of our mountain that you would come here someday and he says written by whom and Breeze shrugged by whoever wrote the other that other hares will follow after us that is the way it has always been and always will be and both hares stood in the cave entrance and bowed to the badger. Welcome to your mountain, Sunflash the Mace, Lord of Salamandastron. The high sun above watched as the badger and the hares went together into the mountain on the shores below. And that is the end of the book. <laughs> like, I love how this book is like either it's a mix of sequel hooks and or the endings of other running stories Mm -hmm. it's like we're going to resolve this plot line but we're also going to drop like five others that can become their own books yeah and like even if this book was written oddly yeah (laughs) there's still so much in it that is just like god damn 
Because you just want to. Because this book was, I believe, put out before Salamander Sean. Let me look at publication order. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure it was because this is like the third I'm book. Googling it. Publication order. So the publication order was Redwall, Mossflower, Matameo, Mariel of Redwall, and then Salamandastron. So this was teased. Mossflower was the second book released, and this was teased. Let's see. Mossflower came out in 1988. Salamandastron came out in 1992. That's four years. Yeah. Damn. Brian really wrote a book a year, huh? <laughs> I mean, like, it does show with, like, some of the later books, but... Um, yeah. yeah. You can tell which ones he was like, yeah, I'm having fun. And the other ones were like, I am phoning it in. <laughs> but also, small tangent, um, Gingerveer gets no. a happy ending! We both remembered yes. wrong. I, uh, or yes. rather. Squirrels. Uh, squirrels. Well, the squirrels. note that Kit put at the very end of the document was squirrels, you, in all caps, squirrels, you little tit, nothing happened to Gingerbeer, how dare you make me so sad, you absolute tit waffle. <laughs> Listen, okay, I have to explain myself. <laughs> Please do. When I was younger, when I was in four, fourth grade, all the way through my senior year of high school, I read so many books. I had undiagnosed autism, undiagnosed ADHD, undiagnosed anxiety, undiagnosed depression. I used books to dissociate. Which is very relatable. Which is a thing that it's burned out gifted kid nonsense. We all read... I read two to three books a day. The way that I remembered the end of this book, I don't know what book I got it from, but the way that I remembered it was Coder sinks into the lake. They flood it and Coder sinks. Does not get wrecked as shit. Sinks. And Martin and Sarmina are fighting on some stairs as it sinks into the lake. But before that, Gingivere gets fucking murked by Sarmina because he was fighting with Martin and tried to protect him. That's how I remembered the end of the book. I don't know what book I got that from. I feel like it might be... <laughs> but it's not this book. I feel like it might be Matimeo. I have no idea. Well, we'll find out. Because we are going to be reading Yeah, we'll books, find out so. when we get there. I know it's not Redwall. Yeah. So, we'll get there. Uh, my room is very warm now. Um, but yeah, that's why I kept implying that Gingivere died, because I thought he did. And why you kept hearing just No, he just vanishes, and I have no idea if he shows back up. I'm, I'd be very happy if he never does, because that means he lived a happy life. Mm-hmm. Like, I would, honestly, I would have liked for, like, nice wild cats to have been in the rest of the book. Seriously, just like, hey, we're, like, we're for them allies, to become, we're here to help you fight the vermin, kind of a thing. Yeah, for them to become mythical like the badgers. Like trading allies, or mythical, like they just show up to be helpful good guys. Yeah, like they just find this farm and there's just this cat there. Yeah. Like, oh, hey, you guys need food and shelter? Well, let me tell you about my great-great-great-grandfather... Because they're talking, like, maybe they start, oh, we're from Redwall Abbey, and this cat just gets a wistful look in their eyes. Yeah. Like, I know that place. I've never been, but my grandfather would talk about it all the time. Yeah. Although, like, the implication is, is that, like, it would have been within traveling distance to Redwall, so it probably would have been a little strange well, if they'd never been there. But it was still, like, Bella traveled, it felt like the way that it was written, like, she traveled for, like, a week or two. I don't think so. If she'd have been traveling for a week or two, like, my my thought was is that she ran 
Like, I feel like her run was impressive because she ran the whole way and it, it only took her, like, maybe, like, half a day or more. Um, and then she ran back. So, like, she's basically running for an entire day. I feel like it's the distance she traveled that was impressive along with the speed she traveled it in. That's fair. Because if it had been a week, like, like Martin is only tended by Goody for one night. Like, it, ex it is explicitly, like, she took care of him through the night. And... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was just, I'm thinking of when she was looking for a place. She was just in the woods for a while. Yeah. That's fair. I don't know. They don't go into that part of Moss Flower that often. No, not really. <laughs> but, yeah, maybe, um, maybe, like... Maybe just, like, the family lives on, and then after a while, there was just too much nonsense happening near Redwall, so they moved away. Like, this place attracts trouble. We're going to move someplace quieter. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that is the end of Mossflower. This is a very good book, even if it's fucking weird, and Brian writes with certain tropes that it's, like, you can you can tell like he is starting like he's still just getting into the stride of writing these books which is why yeah. we get like some of those fun little oddball like the eel the gloomer like just all these oddball like he's throwing ideas at the wall to see what will stick yeah it's just the spaghetti it's all the spaghetti although my brain goes to like that wall of sticky hands that alex hirsch made while <laughs> stuck inside during the <laughs> For those listening to this in the God. future, we are still, this is 2021. We are still uh, dealing with all that. <laughs> but yes. Um, I might actually be able to like, this might just be like one long episode. I think because so, we only yeah. recorded for just over two hours. Yeah, we did pretty, like you were right. We did pretty good today. We kept a really good clip going. Um, but that's because... Everything moves so fast. The rest of it took so long because there's just so much bullshit. Yeah, there was so much to talk about. Like, not that there isn't a lot to talk about here, but it's much more condensed. Yeah. Like, and also, I, the other books aren't split like this, so it'll be a lot easier to kind of split yeah, them. Yeah, we can pick our own splitting spots. Yeah. Um. So, our, our questions, uh, there wasn't really any weird Abbey food here. Yeah. Uh, we've already answered the question from, let me check Twitter really quick, actually. Ba, ba, ba. We didn't get any questions on Twitter, so <laughs> uh, we did get somebody who was like, oh, I found that this podcast is going to premiere soon. The timing is perfect because they just bought the entire series to reread it. Oh my it. gosh, that's awesome. They're going to reread it with us. Yeah, we've gotten a couple people who have been like, oh man, I'm just starting to reread this like series. Hell yeah. And I'm like, yes. I'm actually really excited. Join us. Yeah. Welcome to the party, guys. I hope you have fun reading yeah, with us. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Fucking great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all these adults who are like, Redwall! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nostalgia so, trip, people. Let's enjoy it. Yes. Uh, so I think I'm going to, uh, we've got the last, uh, like our third question was, was there an animal that appeared that surprised you or did an animal subvert expectations? I think for me, honestly, um, uh, what, uh, I just completely blanked on his name. Uh, Brog. Brog? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Really yeah. Brog. Brog surprised me. There are good, like, here's the thing. There's well-written vermin that I really wish Brian did more with. Yeah. 
Because there's such an interesting... I understand why he wrote everything so black and white. I understand why. But there's just so much more interesting things to do with them, character-wise. And he kind of attempts to do that in Outcast, but it's... It, mm, I have opinions. <laughs> we will get there. <sighs> yeah, we're gonna get there. Um, uh, a question I'm gonna add is, who's your favorite character oh, in this book? Chib! Is that even a question? No! <laughs> Chib's not in the book that much. Um, but still, I'm talking the whole book. Who is your favorite character? If it's Chib, it's Chib. Honestly, it's I think it's a tie between Chib and Denny. Because Denny is just so sweet. I love him. He's very good. I think, for me, it's a tie between uh, Columbine and Boar. Oh, Boar's good. Yeah, I think it's a tie between Columbine and Boar. I really like Columbine. She is a good female character. We've talked about this before. Yeah. The female characters in this book are well written. Very well done. And we get later female characters who are just kind of there. Like, they suffer from that. Yeah. Like, uh, but then we get, like, really good ones. Like, to be fair to Brian as well, like, you also get, like, a bunch of male characters who are just there to move the plot along. Like, Yeah. Like, yeah. their only reason. It, but there's a difference between a male care just kind of character just kind of being there Versus a female character just kind of being yeah. there trope-wise. Like, it doesn't matter if you 50-50 it in your book. You're still going to have more male characters doing stuff yeah. than female characters. Because, like, that's even true in this book. There are way more male characters doing things yeah. than there are female characters. The female characters we get are really good, but there's still that, like, disproportion. Yeah. And Brian is a old was a white old white dude so like i'm not surprised yeah. but for what he wrote especially because this book was written in the 80s oh definitely because like i remember yeah. like there's for, a lot for of the books, 80s this is really good like there's a lot of book series that i went back and reread like i i remember books there that i loved as a kid and then when i re went back and reread them it was like oh yeah there's like this book like it's like i can clearly tell this book was written in the 70s like um like, I will confess, I am a Dragon Rider Supern fan, and going back and rereading some yep. of those old books, it's like, oh, Anne, um, can we talk about the relationship between some of these Dragon Riders? <laughs> like, Anne, can we talk? Can we, can we talk about this? I'm gonna, like, have can a little talk? seance, and we can pull up, like, Anne and Brian, and we can talk to them about their <laughs> writing styles. <laughs> like, hello, you two, can we have a word, please? Can we talk? Yeah. We invite Terry Pratchett so that he can rip them a yes. new one. <laughs> God. Unrelated, Sean on YouTube uh, put out a video about Terry Pratchett and the quote-unquote co-opting of, like, authors into trans issues. And he proves, like, no, Terry Pratchett was aware. Mm -hmm. Like, this isn't a co-opting. Like, he wrote trans characters. Yes. Yeah. I think what's, like, kind of... I, sometimes what charms me a little more is, like, when you have an author who will stumble into it by accident, but then when they figure out the fans really appreciate it, they're like, you know what? All right, I'm going to roll with this. And then they'll actually write it into their stories. Um, yes, it's good. Like, I, Discworld books, like, early Discworld books have rough edges, but as they went on, you can tell, like, Terry Pratchett was actively learning right. things. It's just real good. Yeah. Read the Discworld books. Also, please. Like, if we're if we're going to be <laughs> plugging like books that have like good depictions of women in them, there's a book series by Theodora Goss that starts with a book called um, 
The Mysterious Case of the Alchemist's Daughter, which I think is the correct name for it. But the story basically follows the hey, doctor of Dr. She, sorry, follows the daughter of Dr. Jackal and her discovering that her father was also Mr. Hyde and she collects along the way um Victoria Victoria Frankenstein but they they find like the the female monster Frankenstein created who's uh, Justine that's the bride it Justine of Frankenstein. Justine Frankenstein who is actually like a very sweet giant woman there's Beatrice who is a poisonous lady there's um a panther lady who is created by Dr. Moreau. They find Hyde's daughter, who is like the half sister to the main character. Like basically, like the entire cast is like female, like young female women who grow up across the trilogy, and like the only important nice. male characters usually end up being like side love interests to the women. Like they are <laughs> like the old, like I can only think of like two really important like heroic male characters and one of them is vlad dracula and the other one <laughs> is sherlock holmes <laughs> so like literally the only like really important male characters are like established male like trope, trope characters and like all the other villains are just like yeah you know like moriarty's here you know <laughs> moriarty's just here and then like the last book kind of fumbles the landing a little bit like i will warn you guys like the first two books in the trilogy Mwah. They're good. They're excellent. They're well-written. In fact, like, bringing up, like, well-written characters, Justine is very much depicted as being gender-fluid for her era. Like, this is set in the Victorian era. And because of how tall she is, like, Justine is a big woman. Like, I think she's, like, six foot tall. And... All I want to do is see you turn into a giant... <laughs> a giant woman! You a nerd over here! Um... But, like, throughout the books, she regularly dresses up and goes by the name Justin Justin Frankenstein. Like, she regularly presents as male throughout the series. And sometimes it says, like, she feels more comfortable in masculine clothing than in feminine clothing. Like, she never questions her gender, but there are times where she's like, I do feel more comfortable as a man sometimes than as a woman. So it's like you have characters who explore, like, what it is to be a woman, what it is to be a woman who is other. And it is very good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, <laughs> since we filled out some of the extra time we had talking about book series, we <laughs> like. But definitely look it up. Theodora Goss is the author, and it is a trilogy. And the first two books are very good, and the third book isn't bad, but it kind of stumbles into a little bit of a tropey thing. And then like the ending is just like, well, that was abrupt. <laughs> but yes, very good. It'd be like that It'd sometimes. Be like that. So, do we want to do the outro? Yes. Okay. And I will do it today. Thank you for listening to Abbey Archives. We are grateful you lent us your ears, and we hope you enjoy your time with us. This has been Kit. You can find me at Kitsy in a Box on Twitter and .com. Um, I design and create Kitsunday, which are a close species of foxes with dessert-themed tails. They're very cute. We're gonna plug them every time. <laughs> I get, mean, like, I was actually... Get Redwall-themed oh, ones! Oh, shit! Yeah! I need to look up some of the desserts and do that. That's a good idea. We could do it, like, as a special. Yes. Um, oh, my God. Like yes. a listener yes. special or something like that. Um, yes. Anyway. But, what was I going to say? I was uh, actually working on a Kitson Day through this whole thing and got the entire line art done. And I named one Timbalisto. Yes. <laughs> it's not It's not even anything to do with Timbalisto. I just wanted to name it Timbalisto. Yes, which is valid. 
Yeah. Uh, and this has been Izzy. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Sean Deer. You can find uh, our parent podcast at uh, Hope's Hearth Pod, a solar hope punk actual play podcast set in space, uh, where we explore themes of identity, community, and uh, how people find uh, strength and love in dire situations while dealing with hyper space capitalism, which is <laughs> terrible. <laughs> uh, we made it. There's a reason it's called Hope's Hearth. We made it last year in the middle of the pandemic, because like the first part of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So you know, um, that's all I have. Because I was like, oh, I should plug Abby Archives. We're on Abby Archives. You can find us at Abby Archives on Twitter dot com. Oh, also, like, could you reinsert this? But like, as someone who has brain squirrels and uh, or brain mice who can't listen to uh role play podcasts i managed to make it through the first few episodes of hope's hearth and they are very good please trust me on this like <laughs> until my brain told me no you can't listen to this anymore i enjoyed what i was able to listen to um our first few episodes are a uh, a uh world uh, building uh, it's very well, we're, we're doing world building with a game called Apotheosis, which is a legend building game where we're like, our creation legend is about dogs. Dogs. Yes. Dogs. All right. Anyway. Okay. <clears throat> May your hearth be warm and your heart be merry from us to you at Redwall Abbey. Bye. Woo-hoo. Woo, we, we did, did it. it. My room is very warm. I had to turn my That's fan okay. off. Turn it off or on? All right. Oh. I had to turn it okay. off because my microphone picks it oh, up. Oh, no. So we need to clap. Okay. When do you want to clap? On the 40? On the 40. listening. If you like this podcast, please be sure to follow us on Twitter at Abby Archives. And if you'd like to read along with us, join our Discord, linked in the description below. You can also follow our parent podcast at Hope's Hearth Pod. Remember to wash your paws like good dibbins and take care of yourselves. Bye!